God is so good. He even made the pollen. But he made the pretty flowers and the blue sky and the green buds on the trees that amaze us at this time of year. It's so good to be with you on Passover Sunday. I'm going to go right into what I have because I I have more notes than I normally do. So if I start talking real fast, it's because I'm getting to the end. Um, And I'm trying to make sure I have it all. I, I, I was telling Brother David, we were talking a little bit earlier. This is... There's two topics. If I, could, if I was told you can only preach on two topics for the rest of your life, it would be the blood and it would be the name. I could be satisfied with preaching on those two topics for the rest of my life and nothing else. And today I want to talk about the blood. Um, it is Palm Sunday. Next week is, the, is Easter. And, and that's, you know, Friday is, of course, when everything happened. Jesus was crucified. So I'm not really preaching a Palm Sunday message. Um, but, um, but it's that time of year, like I said last week. Uh, last week. I love talking about the events of Easter. So today I'm talking about the spotless lamb and the, uh, we're going to end with nothing but the blood of Jesus because that's my topic. Nothing but the blood of Jesus. From the beginning of time, God planned how he would redeem man. I want y'all to understand something real fast. Nothing that happens in the Bible Nothing that has happened since the Bible was written was a surprise to God. God knew how it was all going to unfold. He didn't make any mistakes along the way. He knew, but everything unfolded according to his plan. He knew that he would have to redeem mankind. He understood that. He wanted the companionship of men and women. God wanted that companionship. Adam and Eve walking in the cool of the day in the garden. That's what God desired from from us. He desires that from all of us still today. He wants that communion. He wants that communion with another creature who possesses free will. See, the angels, they they stand in in the throne room you know, with the six wings, with twain they did cover their face, and twain with their uh, their feet, and with twain they did fly, and they're just saying, holy, holy, holy is the... But that's their job. That's what they were supposed to do. They were created for that. We don't have to do that if we don't want to. We can live how we want, do what we want. He created us so that we would choose to have communion with him. It was that free will that was so important. But there's a downside to our free will. He wanted us to have free will. The angels could not have free will. The only other creation in all of the universe that has free will is us besides God. Of all his characteristics, that's the only one that we really understand. And we can't even grasp at a piece of it. And so before the very foundations of the world were laid, God had a plan. He knew that Satan would revolt, did not surprise God. It was part of the plan. Men and women could never choose God if God was the only choice. Does that make sense? If you only have one choice, do you have a choice? If God is it, did you choose God? You didn't. There must be options for a choice to mean anything. So God allowed evil to enter the world. Isaiah is full of references to this. I'm the Lord thy God. I even created evil. It sounds crazy, but God did that for a reason. We had free will. We had to have a choice. He wanted us to choose him, but he knew that it had to be a choice. So he he allowed evil to enter the world. He knew that sin would come. He knew that sin with its dark and dirty nature would come in, but yet God is holy. And God knew 
that giving man free will would lead to unrighteousness. God knew that. It didn't shock him and surprise him when anybody sinned. When any of us have sinned, it didn't shock God. It doesn't surprise him. God knew that giving us free will was going to lead to unholiness. God knew that Adam would fall. God knew that Eve would eat of the tree. God wasn't surprised by the sin and the failure of Adam and Eve. It was actually part of the plan. It was part of a plan leading to the restoration of men and women into a relationship of holiness with our king and maker. I'm kind of going to play off of some of the topics that our pastor's been on the last several, last several months of Wednesday nights because I'm going to talk about holiness and how the blood applies. It was all part of the plan. Adam and Eve, after they committed their sin, remember, they wanted to hide from God. They were never hiding from God. A fig leaf was just a fig leaf, wasn't it? God saw it all, and he was working through it all. There's a, we're going through a lot of deep stuff today. You may want to put your seatbelt on. But there's some deep doctrinal stuff that we're going through this morning. God saw it all, and he was working through it all. And from the beginning of time, God had decided, I don't know why, it wasn't maybe what I would have chosen or you would have chosen, but God decided that only blood could atone for sin. God's decision. I don't know why he chose blood. He could have chosen anything, but God chose blood. Maybe because it's so essential to life. Maybe every one of us intuitively, we see our veins and they're blue or red, depending on the, how close they are to our, but we, we understand blood. When blood starts squirting out, it's, it's pretty vivid red, isn't it? If you ever had a wound that's sort of like, it's pretty vivid. But blood was the only thing that could cover our unrighteousness. Blood would make a path for us to become holy. Genesis tells us God himself, this is right after Adam and Eve, God himself killed animals in the garden to make some clothes for Adam and Eve. God had to clothe Adam and Eve in, in animal skins. The blood of animals was shed to cover Adam and Eve. Do you get where I'm, the symbolism? We're going to see a whole lot of it. Just a chapter later, Cain and Abel offer sacrifices to God. One was blood and one was wheat and fruit and crops. The blood sacrifice is what God accepted. It was God's plan that blood would be required. Skip ahead to Abraham and Isaac on the mountain. God asked Abraham for a blood sacrifice, namely his own son. Sounds crazy to our ears, but that's what God asked for. Abraham obeys even to the point of tying his own son, and, and Isaac was not a young man. We sometimes, the picture books show Isaac as a six or seven-year-old boy. There's a good chance that Isaac was 18, 19, or 20. Somewhere in that neighborhood, he was a grown, so he actually had to show some, there's a whole sermon there. He showed some submission too, because his dad tied a grown man to an altar, his son, to, to sacrifice him. And all of a sudden, God stops his arm, and we know about the ram in the thicket. And Abraham sacrificed the ram, and the blood was shed because blood was required. Moving forward, the children of Israel are in bondage in Egypt. The first nine plagues have not convinced Pharaoh to let the people go. So Moses tells the people to kill a lamb without blemish and put the blood on the doorposts. And that's what they did. 
they put the blood on the doorpost. And when the death angel saw the blood, he would pass over them and their house would be spared. Them and their entire house would be spared. But in other places in Egypt, across Egypt that night, where the blood had not been applied, death was visited upon every firstborn son. Once again, blood had been required for salvation. But then in the ultimate Old Testament example and explication of God's law requiring blood, it occurs with Moses' tabernacle in the wilderness. Lambs and goats and bulls and rams and even doves are offered up for atonement of sin. Sometimes, the, and, and there's descriptions of, the, of the, when the temple was consecrated, sometimes rivers of blood are poured out for the sins of the many. But it was never enough to keep man in a holy relationship with God. The sins weren't wiped from the slate. They weren't wiped out and, 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 and the, the balance didn't become zero. That's not what happened. They were merely rolled forward for another year. So every time the, the high priest walked into, the, into the, the Holy of Holies and he offered up the blood sacrifice, the sins were not forgiven going backwards. They were just pushed forward. When the high priest would come out of the, holy, the holies alive, remember he also could die in there, but when he would come out alive, there was a sense of victory in the camp. The Levites would be the first to scream it because they were right outside the, the opening to the, to the tabernacle, and they would scream, sins are gone. Sins are gone. And the, the cry would be picked up. Judah would start to, to scream it. Benjamin would start. All the tribes, all 12 tribes would begin to scream, sins are gone. Sins are gone. All the tribes would scream it out, sins are gone, until the whole camp was screaming, sins are gone. But they weren't really gone. They were just on credit. That's all. They were on credit. And the bill would have to be paid one day. And by the, this, is, this is what amazes me. By that day that the, the, the high priest came out of the Holy of Holies and said, sins are gone, and the whole camp, sins are gone. By that night, somebody in the camp had committed a sin. We know human nature, so we know somebody did. Somebody lusted, somebody stole, somebody did something, somebody sinned in the camp. And so by the night of the first day, someone had already committed a new sin. See, God gave us free will. And mankind has been using that free will to commit sin after sin after sin since the day that Adam fell. And God was not surprised that this happened. Remember, he knew this would happen. He prepared for this to happen. He set into motion a plan from before the foundations of the world were laid. He would make a way for us to be holy even as he is holy. A better sacrifice was going to be required, though. Something better than lambs, something better than goats, something better than doves, something better than bulls, something better than rams. A more perfect sacrifice was required. A sacrifice that would be both earthly and divine is the only sacrifice that would suffice. That precious lamb of God was required. And just like the red cord hanging from Rahab's window in Jericho, there is a line of blood flowing all the way from Adam to the second Adam, Jesus Christ. Holiness demanded it. Blood was required. And that brings us to our subject for this morning. 
what can wash away my sins? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. What can wash away my sins? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. There can be no greater joy for us as Christians than in celebrating what Jesus Christ is going to do on Friday. 2,000 years ago, but we'll celebrate it this Friday. But I think that we need to dig deep, deep, deep into what that sin cost so that we can rejoice honestly over the price of redemption. Thanks to Calvary and to the resurrection, we no longer are subjects of Satan. We don't have to be subject to the world. We don't have to be subject to the world system. I today am no longer a slave to sin. Today, we have the joy of freedom in Christ Jesus. But before my encounter with Christ Jesus, the bondage of sin had me in chains. I remember it. I remember what it felt like to be bound. Each of us in this room, every human being, every human person was born into sin and shapen in iniquity, as David put it. We were born in bondage to sin because of that sin nature we received from Adam. If Adam and Eve had never sinned, which would have been impossible, right? We all know that was, I mean, we get mad at Adam and Eve for, oh, y'all got us kicked out of the garden and now we have to work. And, but they were going to sin. Somebody was going to. In fact, it was God's plan. It was going to happen, so I'm not mad at Adam and Eve anymore. <laughs> Maybe when I was younger. But because of Adam and Eve's fall, we are born in sin. Ephesians 2, 1 through 3 makes this reality clear. And you were dead in your trespasses and sins in which you formerly walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, of the spirit that is now working in the sons of disobedience. Among them we too all formerly lived. We used to live in that world. In the, in the lust of our flesh, indulging the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, even as the rest of them. Other passages also describe the desperate and hopeless condition every human is before they are freed from their bondage to sin by God's grace. According to Colossians 1 and 13 and 1 John 5 and 9, 19, every person begins their life under Satan's power and within his kingdom. Kind of crazy to think about a little baby. Is under the curse of Satan and in Satan's kingdom. Every child is under Satan's curse. We're under Satan's curse and we begin in Satan's kingdom until we choose Jesus Christ. We're blinded by Satan. 2 Corinthians 4 and 4 tells us that and our minds are darkened according to Ephesians 4 and 18. And the result of this according to Romans 3:12 and Romans 6:16 6, through 20 is that we cannot do right. We can't do right because we are slaves to sin. Our sin nature, our human nature, can't even choose right without God's help. I know and I remember all too well what being a slave to sin was. I remember it with a vividness that I can't even sometimes get out of my brain, but I know what that was like, and it reminds me today of how much I have joy in Jesus Christ today. Maybe God left it there for that reason. I want you to understand this morning that this concept of sin is so much discussed in the New Testament. We need to understand it well for our salvation. This condition of being a slave to sin is the situation of all who have not yet become a follower of Jesus Christ. See, Jesus left the glory of heaven and became a man in order to free us from the bondage of sin because he himself would pay the price of sin. 
That's how high the cost of sin was. Rivers of blood of goats and lambs and rams could not wipe it away, but the blood of Jesus Christ could do it for all time. That's how high the price was. As 1 Peter 1, 18 and 19 says, talks about the greatest price that would ever be paid. You were not redeemed with perishable things like silver or gold. All the silver and all the gold on the entire planet could not have bought your salvation from the, the futile way of life inherited from Adam, but with precious blood, as of a lamb unblemished and spotless, the blood of Jesus Christ. That's what purchased. Never, ever forget that. Never diminish it. Never take it for granted. The cost of sin is so high because God is so holy. God's holy. We can't even fathom His holiness. His holiness is so beyond our comprehension. And because of His holiness, our discretion, our transgressions, the things we did that that led us away from Jesus Christ, that sin that was put, that then became part of our lives was costly. It was so costly because we became unholy. So as far as you could go that direction and as far as you go this direction, over here is God's holiness. Over here is us when we sin. That's how far apart they were. God himself instituted the penalty for violating that holiness at the very beginning when he commanded Adam. This is important. From any tree of the garden you may eat freely, but from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat. For in that day that you eat it, you will surely die. Death is the penalty for sin. Okay? Death is the penalty of sin. Because God is just, God said it, his word doesn't change. Once Adam had sinned, God could not overlook what Adam had done. God couldn't. Oh, it's okay, baby. It was your first time. That's not God's holiness. That's not God's justice. There had to be satisfaction for sin. Its penalty had to be paid and death had to occur. The problem for Adam is that death would leave him under God's wrath forever. He would die in his sin and therefore there would be no redemption for him. He would be eternally separated from God. If Adam had had to die right there for his sin, then he would have been forever cast from God's presence. But God planned for all of this, as we have seen. Man cannot pay the price of our own sin. None of you can and I can't. Brother Bruce can't. None of us can pay the price of our own sin. We don't have enough value in all of our accounts. I don't care if you got stuff offshore. I don't care what you own, you don't have enough to pay. We can't get holy on our own. We can't do anything to make ourselves holy. We just talked about it, but animals became the sacrifice for sin. They became the substitute for us, for our death. The animals substituted in our place, but they are not of equivalent value. They don't have a soul like we do. Their value is not equal to us. So they could not actually pay the price. Remember, the Old Testament system of sacrifice was just pushing the bill forward. Nothing was ever really getting paid. The balance sheet was just growing from Adam 
all the way to next Thursday, 2,000 years ago, the bill was just growing. Just that credit card, just lay it down, charge again, charge, charge. The balance sheet was growing. But as Hebrews 10 and 4 states, it is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sin. They weren't taking away our sin. In addition, only someone who was not guilty could pay the price as a substitute. And that means that none of us could have paid it either. We couldn't have died on the cross. None of us, we could have spent the, a week in Gethsemane praying and trying to get right with God, and we could not have died on that cross. No human being who's ever lived could have done it. No human could be qualified because all humans sin. Only Jesus Christ, who is both Son of Man and Son of God, could meet the requirement. As, as, the, as the Son of Mary, He is a human, but He is divine because that which was conceived in Mary was of the Holy Ghost. Everything is still happening according to God's plan. Jesus lived his life in complete submission to God, and he never, ever, not once sinned. Hebrews 4 and 15 tells us that. And since he is God in human flesh, his life is also infinitely valuable. He's God. Jesus is God. So he owns and possesses all that God possesses. There's nothing in the universe that he doesn't own. Therefore, there's nothing in the universe that he can't pay for. Because he has all value. There's no price he cannot pay. Only this God-man, Jesus Christ, could be a sufficient substitute for the sins of all mankind forever. Only Jesus and his blood could make us righteous. And so this Jesus was born. He grew to be a, a wise young man. He was teaching in the temple at age 12. He felt pain and he felt loss, yet he was without sin. Even at 12 in Jerusalem, this boy, keep this in mind, God was in him. He was God, so he knew all that God knew. So can you imagine him at 12 teaching in the temple, thinking, you know what, I'm going to be back here in 22 years. And it's not going to be this nice when I'm back here in 22 years. It's going to be rough. He knew all that, and he knew that he would be there suffering and dying. The boy Jesus knew the plan, and he obeyed. He grew to manhood and began his ministry. He preached the kingdom of God. He healed the sick. He made the lame to walk. He made the dumb to talk, the dead to live again. He preached love and peace, but he also called us to follow him into holiness. And then 2,000 years ago today, he rode that donkey into the city of Jerusalem on Palm Sunday. The crowds adored him. They screamed, Hosanna, Hosanna, glory to God in the highest on that Sunday. And then Jesus then instructed his disciples about what was to come, about the kingdom of God. He sat and he ate the last supper with the twelve. He prayed in the garden. It was part of the plan. He was betrayed. He was arrested. He was judged. It was part of the plan. He was scourged. He was crucified. It was part of the plan. He was obedient unto death. He was obedient unto death. Jesus willingly paid the price of sin. He became sin's substitute on Golgotha's hill. He was not forced 
or coerced. No Roman soldier made him do anything. Not a single thing was forced upon him. No one took his life. We talked about that last week. No one took it. He gave it willingly because he knew the plan. He did it out of love for those whom he had created. There could be no higher price paid. He gave his sinless life to purchase life for you and me. And all of it, everything that was done, it was to finally fulfill that whole plan that was set into motion from the very beginning. And now us humans with our free will, including the free will to choose God, which is good, but also including the free will to sin, which is bad, and including the free will to incur consequences for our actions. We, us humans, with free will, we would now have some alternative to our own death to pay the price of sin. Are you starting to see the plan? Are you starting to see how the plan just flowed out of the goodness of God? We now have an alternative to dying for our own sins. Something else would take the place. We could live because he died. And that price, to be honest with you, doesn't even really reflect how valuable you are. The truth is we don't carry an intrinsic value. I remember a, a chemistry professor said we're worth like about $1.73 if you got our minerals and, and, and uh, iron and whatever's in our body, we're worth like $1.73. I didn't check that. That's probably, inflation's been crazy lately. <laughs> it's probably 800 now. Um, but we carry no intrinsic value. We have worth only in our relationship with Jesus Christ. In the light that we reflect from him is where our worth comes from. Humans are above animals only because we were made in the image of God and they were not. And we can reflect him. It is that reflection of God that gives us worth. But, always a but, negates everything I've already said, but no. <laughs> but God is holy. Our eternal soul has value. And that is what Jesus came to redeem. God is totally self-sufficient. There is nothing in us that he, that he really needs. There's nothing that we can really give him. We can't, we can't add to his kingdom. We, he owns the cattle of a thousand hill. There's nothing that God needs, but he wants us. He doesn't need us. He wants us. All that God has done for us has been done out of his selfless love for every single person in this room. He loves you. Romans 5 and 8 states it best, but God demonstrated his own love towards us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. I said it last week, but it bears repeating. At the, think back to the moment in your life when you had failed the worst. That moment when you couldn't stand yourself, when you thought you were a failure, when you thought you were beyond redemption, that's what Jesus was thinking about on the cross. He loved you so much, he didn't want you to be in that bad place anymore. He loved you, and he died for us while we were yet sinners. The price of Jesus' life, which he paid for our sins, demonstrates both the incredible love of God and the utter depth of sin. 
in one way, the, the death of Jesus Christ, the enormous price of it, reveals our unrighteousness because we see how high the price had to be. If God did not redeem us because we are worthy, then why did he pay this incredible price? Was it to save us from hell? Nope. We like to think it was because of hell because we want everything to revolve around us. See, that's human thinking. Oh, he died to save me from hell. He didn't. He did not. I'm not trying to mess with anybody's theology, but he didn't die to save you from hell. That's our human nature thinking of that because we're thinking of our skin. I don't want to burn. <laughs> I want to go to heaven. That's us thinking. But the focal point is never man. It's never us. We are the beneficiaries who receive a blessing as a result of something that's totally not focused on us. The focal point of salvation is God, not man. It's his glory that is important, not ours. All that has been done and will be done is for the purpose of the praise of the glory of his grace. Ephesians 1 and 6. The purpose of redemption is shown in Ephesians 1. It shows that salvation is all of God for his purposes. In, verse, in chapter 1, verse 4, we find that God chose us before the foundations of the world were laid. Did any of you have anything to do with that? Anybody here when the foundations of the world were laid? I'm not asking anybody's age. None of us were here. We weren't here when the foundations of the world were laid. Anybody here? I didn't see any hands. In verse 1 and 5, we find that God preordained us to be adopted as sons through Jesus Christ. Did you have anything to do with that? Any of you have anything to do with that? In verse 1 through seven, one and 7, we find that redemption has come through the blood of Jesus Christ, by which he granted forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace. Anybody in here have anything to do with that one? Anybody? In, in, verse, in chapter 1, 11 and 14, we find that God has promised those he has redeemed an, an eternal inheritance and given the Holy Spirit, the Holy Ghost that lives inside us as a pledge of his promise. Any of y'all have anything to do with that one? I didn't. <laughs> no, 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 and no is the answer to all the questions I just asked you. The answer to all of the questions is no. We had nothing to do with it. We did not discover Jesus Christ for ourselves. This is crazy. It is God that revealed himself to us, Ephesians 1 and 9. And why? Why did he reveal himself? Ephesians 1, chapter 1 answers it for us. It is because of his love, verse 4, the kind intention of his will, verse 5, the riches of his grace, verse 7, and for his own purposes, which I may never ever understand, verses 8 and 11. That's why he did it. Why would God do all of this? For what reason would he do all this for us? The praise of his glory and of his grace, the fulfillment of his own will and purposes. In specific, let me tell you this. In specific, he did not save you to keep you from hell, which sounds crazy, but so that you might be holy and blameless before him so that you might be a part of the inheritance of Christ and so that you might be able to praise his glory. Salvation is not about you. It's about God. Its focus is on his glory, not my comfort. 
The next thing I'm going to say is, is probably the most crucial thing in this whole message. Please listen carefully. Salvation is not to get us from hell and into heaven. And again, I'm probably going to mess with somebody's theology, but we need to understand this. Remember earlier what the blood was for and what was required. Sin separates us from God, right? When we sin, we're separated from God. It makes us unrighteous. It makes us unholy. God, on the other hand, is all righteousness and all holiness. We could not come before him to partake of that communion with him because of that barrier. Sin is an impenetrable barrier. We could not get past it. Therefore, salvation's purpose isn't to get us out of hell and into heaven. Rather, it is to get us from sin to righteousness. That's the purpose of salvation. It's to get us from worldliness to holiness. The eternal destination of each of us is just a happy result of what we decide. If I choose holiness, if I choose God's path, then heaven is my promise. That's just a side effect. It's the holiness that is the goal. That's what the blood was for. And heaven is just the side effect. If I'm close to sin, then I'm far from heaven, right? If I'm close to righteousness, I'm far from hell. Does that make sense? In other words, heaven is the happy byproduct of your salvation. I want to be saved because I want to be like Jesus. Yes, I want to go to heaven. Trust me, I do. I got people over there. I want to go to heaven. But if my salvation is motivated by fear of hell more than love of Jesus and his holiness, am I even saved? Okay, look, I'm not saying you're not saved. I'm not at all. But what I'm saying is what's the point of your salvation? Jesus died because he loved you. He wants to clothe you in righteousness. He wants to restore us to a right relationship so that we can have communion with him. And that's what he intended from the beginning. That was the plan. It was always the plan. Be holy even as I am holy, saith the Lord. But that command was impossible. It was impossible. God told us something in the Bible we can't do. Be holy as I am holy. Okay, God, that sounds great. I can't. Well, guess what? Calvary is coming. And Calvary will make the way for you to obey that command. Blood was required. Blood had to be shed so that we might become the righteousness of Christ. I want you to think of Jesus' sacrifice today in a different way than maybe you've ever thought about it. It wasn't to save you from hell, although that's part of the deal, but it is so much more. It was to redeem you from unrighteousness and let you boldly approach the throne of grace. Because of Jesus' sacrifice, the veil has been rent and we can walk into the Holy of Holies. That holiness of God which would have struck the high priest down if all the sin wasn't gone out of his life. It would have killed him in an instant. They had that rope tied around his leg. If, if, the, if the high priest dropped dead, they could pull him out because they couldn't walk in the Holy of Holies either. Nobody could have gone in there to get his body. So the rope was there so they could pull him out. Because that was the price of man's unrighteousness. Death was required. 
Jesus became the substitute for that death. And we can now sit and talk and commune with the holy God of the universe. The plan all along, the plan was so you could live holy and free. Not a slave to sin. I don't want to be a slave to sin. I did that. I don't want to do that anymore. But a slave to Christ. That's how Paul describes it. That word, again, sounds strange in our ears. But I do want to be a slave to Christ because of his precious blood. Can we just thank him for a second for that sacrifice? Can we thank him? Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus, for your sacrifice. Thank you for the blood that was shed. Thank you for the blood that was shed. Can we stand? He shed the blood for us. And it was to make us free. The price was beyond anything any of us could pay. Sin demanded a cost that was we just absolutely could not even afford. But he made a way. We're going to sing a song just as a congregation. I want us just to sing this song. And what I want you to do is when this song is over and we, and we leave our places and we go to the second service or, or if you're leaving after that, whatever it is, I want you to think of this song and the blood of Jesus all week long. It's Holy Week. Today is Palm Sunday. Easter is next Sunday. Good Friday is Friday. But think about the blood that purchased your salvation, not so that you could go to heaven, but so that you could have a relationship with Jesus Christ. Nothing but the blood.